Well, good morning and welcome. Is it Wednesday already, is it? Must mean it's the 16th day of March. Nice to have your company on the iHeart and TuneIn Radio apps and, of course, on starterfm.com.au as we go live between 7 and 9 each weekday morning, Australian Eastern Standard Time. Or maybe you're listening back to the Prawncast. If you are, throw me some Patreon, please. Follow the link on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the Morning. And, of course, that's where you can always leave any comment you would like uh, about the content on the show. Now, yesterday we spoke to Sakan Ozturk from True Crime News Weekly. His story broke yesterday. The whole story. I'll go through some of it. That's in relation to Optus seemingly going against their code of ethics by hiring the former New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian, as we know, who's shrouded in alleged corruption. Uh, With the Independent Commission Against Corruption still not finished with uh, its findings into Gladys's situation, you know, the secret boyfriend, the Wagga situation, all that kind of stuff. Look, I'm not suggesting for a moment that Gladys Berejiklian is corrupt, but if you read Optus, uh, Optus's own code of ethics, if there is a mere suggestion that a supplier is mired in any allegations of fraud, well, then they shouldn't be there. Anyway, I'll go through the details of that story. Uh, Does it matter to you whether or not the person who has the top job in the country, at the moment it's between two blokes, they're neck and neck in the latest news poll, Albo and ScoMo, does it matter to you if whoever is the PM is a little overweight or has a dad bod? So much has been made of it, of course, uh, and I kind of was a bit disappointed to read some of the stories yesterday in relation to this. I don't think Australians should be voting on their new Prime Minister or to put ScoMo back into the lodge uh, just on their weight or necessarily how they look. Uh, I'd be more concerned about policies and ideology. Anyway, uh, stories were written about it yesterday that as I say, were a little disappointing for me. Uh, it all came after ScoMo had a, uh, a one-on-one with his good mate Paul Murray at Sky News. That's okay. Um, you know, you need friends in in this game, and uh, ScoMo's got plenty. And he couldn't help himself. He had to have a crack at Anthony Albanese's weight loss. And that's okay, uh, considering Albo had a pretty good swing at him on the 60 Minutes uh, program. But Scott Morrison while calling Anthony Albanese a bit of a pretender and a fraud, if you like, forgot to mention that he himself, the la- when he first took the top job, just a few years ago, went on a crash diet too. In fact, he was up to his armpits in those manshake things. I don't think he's had too many recently. Look, again, so long as... And I'm, I, I am certainly not someone who... Picks. I mean, I've got a bit of a dad bod at the moment, and I I don't want to pick on somebody's appearance and pick on somebody's weight, so long as they're not unhealthy. You know, if you're the Prime Minister of the country, you need to be as fit as possible. You need to ensure that you're eating correctly, you're getting enough sleep, and that you're following some health guidelines. Uh, and even though Scott Morrison... You know, we all saw the, the picture of him at Bronte Beach and the Budgie Smugglers. Even though he has a bit of a dad bod, it doesn't mean that he's, you know, incapable of doing the job. Well, maybe his policies do, but his weight doesn't. I think you know what I'm saying. I'll go through that story in a bit more detail for you a little later this morning. We'll get to some of your feedback as well from starterfm.com.au and the Facebook page. Uh, my old school, my primary school made the news. They shut it down and kids had to piss in a bucket. Excuse my language, but they did. It was bizarre. My ears pricked yesterday when I tuned into the radio uh, halfway through the day and I heard Warrington County Public School mentioned. Uh, they were in a lockdown situation, we're told, earlier this week, Monday, for a few hours and the kids weren't allowed out of the classroom. 
not even for toilet breaks. Look, the education department's looking into it. The school's defended itself, saying, well, we needed to keep our students and our staff as safe as possible. Anyway, it's an interesting story, and I suspect we'll probably hear a little more of it. Marcus Paul in the morning, some great music on the way, all the latest news. I'll get to some of your views as well. Nice to have your company on this Wednesday morning. Welcome back, Tuesday morning with Marcus Paul. Nice to have your company, whether it's on Starter FM or, of course, you may well be listening to us on the iHeart or TuneIn Radio apps. Well, my ears pricked yesterday. I was out in the car and I had the radio on and I heard my old public school get a mention. Yeah, Warrington County Public School. I went there in year five and year six just prior to high school. So naturally, my ears pricked up. What's going on here? Well, parents at this school, and I had a, I have fond memories of Warrington County Public School. I, I'm still in touch with my year six teacher, Tom Gardner. Parents at the school were furious after their kids were made to use buckets as toilets during a lockdown. Warrington County Public School was put into lockdown for around two hours on Monday following an incident with a student. Now, it meant the children were not permitted to leave their classrooms, not even for a toilet break. One parent wrote on Facebook, my son said they were locked down from the start of recess until the end of lunch and about eight kids in class had to use a bucket for the toilet. Another, also on social media, said, I expect police to be called so that my kids aren't in a classroom for four hours unable to use a proper toilet. Meanwhile, Amanda, who has three children at the school, said her daughter held in her urge to urinate because she didn't want to do it in the bucket. Dear oh dearie me. But the other two said if they didn't go, they were going to wee their pants. So... Off they did, off they went, they weed into a bucket that other children had also weed into. Other parents were grateful that children weren't let out of the classroom but slammed the school for not directly informing them of the incident. One parent said, I have no issue with them using a bucket to pee in if it meant it kept them safe. My issue is the vague communication from the school. I feel like we have a right to know what went on. Well, what did go on? A New South Wales education spokesman has told Seven News the incident was unacceptable and the Department of Education was investigating. We have confirmed that Warrington County Public School was placed in a lockdown on Monday to ensure the safety of all students on site, which impacted bathroom access. This is unacceptable. The department does not condone this practice and has apologised unreservedly to parents and students impacted by this incident. Now, an email sent to parents following the lockdown said students were permitted only essential movement during the incident. Now, apparently, it was an incident occurring within the school grounds. That was in an email from the principal, Belinda Clark. The safety of our students and staff was our main priority during this time. At no point during the lockdown were any of our students or staff at risk of harm. Following the lockdown, students had an indoor lunch and only essential movement around the school was permitted. Now, police were not called to the school on Monday. The incident occurred just days after the school conducted a lockdown drill on Friday. But again, um, there's no explanation as to why the school was locked down for approximately two hours. Well, certainly from what I can see here. Odd, very odd. What do you make of it? Look, I understand it's important to keep children and teaching staff safe. And I I suppose if they need to go, a bucket's as good a place as any. (laughs) Dear, oh dear. What happens if you needed to do a number two? Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, Marcus Paul in the morning. Nice to have you company. On this Wednesday, it is March 16. I hope you are well. Now, if you want to have your say on any of the stories that we mentioned, uh, don't forget, you can always send me an email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au, or, of course, you can always leave your comments on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the morning. 
Well, on Monday night, I noticed that the Prime Minister had a crack at Anthony Albanese following Albo's appearance on 60 Minutes. Of course, we spoke about that on yesterday morning's program. And he couldn't help himself. And I understand that, you know, it's politics and Albo got a, a bit of a swing with Carl. So Scott Morrison, who, by the way, is neck and neck now. Both Albo and ScoMo are neck and neck, according to the latest news poll on preferred prime minister. But Scott Morrison decided that he'd sledge Anthony Albanese by saying to, you know, his mate Paul Murray on Sky that, I'm not pretending to be anybody else. I'm still wearing the same sunglasses. Sadly, the same suits. I weigh about the same size and I don't mind a bit of Italian cake. I'm not pretending to be anybody else. Well, is, is he suggesting that Anthony Albanese is pretending to be anybody else? But Anthony Albanese? Yeah, the makeover sledge directed at the shrinking waistline of Albo has been undermined after it emerged the Prime Minister recently turned to man-shakes to drop kilos and revelations that his office previously discussed his dramatic slim-down with media outlets. Now, the PM's proud dad bod has emerged as an election issue, which is a shame because I don't think it matters. To be perfectly honest, we should be electing our political representatives on their policies and not the size of their waistline. Anyway, he decided, of course, Scott Morrison, to raise Anthony Albanese's 18 kilogram weight loss on national television to suggest he was a fraud. Well, <laughs> there you go. The gloves are off. The bizarre sledge followed a question about Labor's economic policies and Mr Albanese's suggestion he would model himself on the Hawke government. However, less than a year ago, the Australian newspaper reported Scott Morrison celebrated his 53rd birthday not with cake but with a manshake meal replacement drink in a bid to slim down. The manshakes are billed as the fastest and easiest way for men to lose the beer gut without losing all the beers. And apparently, not that I want to plug them, it costs around 45 bucks a bag of 15 shakes. Really? It's a bloody expensive shake. Anyway, in October 2018, shortly after he was elevated to the top job, there were multiple reports about Scott Morrison's dramatic slim down, with the Prime Minister's office confirming that he had changed his diet and exercise habits. Look, of course he had. You know, being the Prime Minister of Australia, just putting policies and ideology aside, being the Prime Minister, having the leading job in the country is hard bloody work. And you need to make sure that your physical uh, being is as fit as possible, you know? You need to trim down. You need to look after yourself, after your health. It makes sense. Anyway, a Daily Mail story titled Scott Morrison's Dramatic Slim Down in Just Three Weeks, How the PM Has Lost Kilos by Changing His Diet Since Winning the Top Job. Now, that story claimed he had dropped some serious weight and that the Prime Minister's office had confirmed it. At the time, the PM was grilled by David Koch on Sunrise over his slim down, joking that he didn't know how it happened. He told Koshi, I have no idea. I still enjoy beer. I'm still doing all the things I used to do. Maybe it's just the frenetic energy and pace that I'm setting. Anyway, look, I think we're getting a little sidetracked here, aren't we? Does it matter? Look, there's no doubt that Scott Morrison probably could do with losing a few kilos. I mean, if you look at uh, the photograph that was snapped, I think, a couple of years ago of him out at Sydney's Bronte Beach with his family. He was wearing budgie smugglers, and, of course, he, you know, he's a, he wears a dad bod. The bloke's 53 years of age. Anyway, again, I don't think it really matters so long as he remains as healthy as possible. That is, whoever's the Prime Minister, he or she, well, we've got two blokes gunning for the top job in just a couple of months. So whether it is a torta fitter Albanese or whether it's ScoMo with his dad bod, 
I don't know that their weight necessarily matters so long as they are looking after themselves to their best ability. I just think it's a bit of a distraction and a shame, I think. Anyway, uh, just back to Albo. I thought he looked fantastic, as I mentioned, on Sunday on the 60 Minutes program, and it was nice to see him introduce his partner of two years to the public, Jody Hayden. Nice to see Jody, but I noticed when asked whether or not Jody would stand side by side with him if he does win the Prime Ministership in May, he kind of had a strange look on his face. Left us all hanging. Welcome back. Now, yesterday you would have heard my first conversation with True Crime News Weekly's Sir Khan Ozturk and his story that we uh, we teased in relation to Gladys Berejiklian, the former New South Wales Premier, dropped late yesterday. Optus says yes as Aussies say no to corruption. Anger as allegedly corrupt former New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian scores highly paid, made-up executive job that goes against the telco's own code of conduct. Yep. Many of senior Optus executives have been publicly sucking up to the allegedly corrupt former New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian for months, with the hope, it seems, of being able to swindle some more influence among decision-makers and power brokers across the country, but in particular in New South Wales. Look, the move by the giant telco, meanwhile, to go against its own published company code of ethics and give the morally dubious former politician a highly paid, made-up job just for her, while still under investigation by the Independent Commission Against Corruption, has led to angered employees and customers deciding to leave the business. Yeah, well... As Sir Khan writes in his piece, which is brilliant, it's a case of Optus saying yes, while the rest of Australia says no to Gladys Berejiklian, including the giant telco's own employees and customers. Early last month, the telecommunications company operated by the Singapore government, uh, well, when I say the Singapore government, they own the company called Singtel, All right, they announced this bold move to install and fast-track Gladys Berejiklian to their executive team. To do so, they created a wholly new job just for her. How very special. Berejiklian's fancy new title for her made-up position at the telco will be Managing Director, Enterprise, Business and Institutional. I'm not quite sure what it pays, but I would, ex- I kind of expect it would be north of probably 300,000 plus. Now, upon the appointment on February 11, Optus CEO Kelly Bayer-Rosmerin came out to lavish praise upon the former politician who happens to be in dire straits with her questionable decision-making and credible links to corruption in the form of her secret boyfriend, Daryl Maguire. As we know... Uh, the public got a bit of an eyeful of all of that with the Independent Commission Against Corruption inquiry. That whiff of impropriety or the alleged enabling of corruption seems to be no obstacle, though, for Optus. Really? Uh, Miss Rosmar and trumpeted, At the announcement, Gladys is a proven leader who demonstrated her renowned strength, leadership, discipline and composure in successfully guiding Australia's largest state through one of the biggest challenges in its history while earning the support and gratitude of the community for her tireless uh, contribution. She also builds and fosters loyal and dedicated teams who really go above and beyond for her. The decision by Optus to give Berejiklian an executive role with the telco while still under investigation by ICAC and, uh, you know, the alleged corruption was met by barely a shrug from a compliant media almost wholly devoted to covering up perhaps for their Liberal Party friends. The lack of questioning from the media about Gladys's new role with Optus was somewhat amusing though 
And that's simply because the company's decision to hire the allegedly corrupt former politician goes against its own publicly stated guidelines and directives. The telco's own published ethical standards state that the company won't work with anyone or anybody where allegations of corruption may exist or seem credible. The company's code of conduct states, Optus expects its suppliers to adhere to the highest standard of moral and ethical conduct, to respect local laws and not engage in any form of corrupt practices, including extortion, fraud or bribery at a minimum. Well, there you go. I've had a look at it. Uh, so Khan sent me a copy and, you know, you can have a look yourself. It's online. It's pretty public. That is Optus's Supplier Code of Conduct. Let me repeat, Optus expects its suppliers to adhere to the highest standards of moral and ethical conduct, to respect local laws and not engage in any form of corrupt practices, including extortion, fraud or bribery, at a minimum. Well, the question does need to be asked. Why has Gladys Berejiklian been given such a prime gig? I, uh, I don't want to go through all of the story because I want you to read it for yourself. So make sure you, you follow the link on my Facebook page to the story written by Sir Khan. It's brilliant. Uh, the True Crime News Weekly story. Optus says yes, as Aussies say no, to corruption. And uh, he argues with, mind you, a stack of evidence that it seems... Very strange that Gladys Berejiklian is taking a senior role at the telco, considering her time before the Independent Commission Against Corruption here in New South Wales is, importantly, not done yet. Marcus Paul in the morning. If you want to have your say on that, uh, the story link is up on the Facebook page. Wednesday morning, Marcus Paul in the morning. If you would like to send me some feedback, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. Look, something I, I have followed in the last few years on the old program, uh, of course, was the Mascot Towers situation. Residents of the unlivable Mascot Towers complex are willing to sign waivers in order to return to their homes if the government rental support is taken off them. Now, the residents who are on the brink of financial devastation say they are willing to risk their lives and move back into the complex despite their floor departments sinking and cracking. <sighs> I mean, uh, I've gone through this story, you know, at great uh, lengths, spoken to David Shoebridge about it, spoken to uh, Labor, spoke, even spoken to the government. Nobody seems to want to be accountable for this complete and utter balls up. And unfortunately, it's the residents who are having to deal with shoddy workmanship and nobody taking any responsibility for it. Mascot Towers Owners Corporation Chair Gary Deegan and his wife Marie bought their apartment outright in a bid to live the Australian dream, but they are now willing to sign away their rights to safety. There is every possibility that people will be thinking about moving back in, but we don't know if that's allowed. Well, every man's home is his castle. I, I feel desperately, desperately sorry for these people. I really do. It is such a shame they found themselves in these situations. You know, but it is a big risk. You know, the faulty towers owners are at a loss as the government support is now starting to stop. Residents, as I said, are on the brink of financial devastation. They are willing to sign safety waivers to return to their homes in the Mascot Towers complex. It's just not right. Anyway, the government is currently providing rental subsidies, which the owners will repay in full. So they're not even getting a, uh, a helping hand, really. They're getting a, well, they're getting a loan. 
is probably the best way of putting it, they're getting a loan from the government. The owners will repay it in full when their apartments are sold, but who's going to buy them? And the current court case, well, that hasn't been settled yet either. But the support program expires at the end of this month, and the state government has not told owners if they will get help beyond that. Well, I think they need, the government needs to have another look at this. Of course they should receive help after this. Absolutely they should. In letters and emails seen by the media, um, State Labor MP Ron Honig, Kingsford Smith Federal MP Matt Thistlewaite and Mascot Towers Secretary Isaac Lean wrote to Fair Trading Minister Alini Patinos. Good luck trying to get onto Alini. Anyway, they've requested a meeting, but residents said they had been snubbed by the minister and the government. Really? Well, that's not good enough. It is not good enough. Now, Courtney Halsos, who's Labor's better regulation spokeswoman and somebody that I've spoken to about this issue on a number of occasions, she said the owners were being dodged by the government, including the minister, Ms. Patinos. The government must extend this package urgently and give the owners some certainty. We've heard heartbreaking stories of bankruptcies, and of families delaying having children because of their losses already sustained. All right, well, over to you, Miss Patinos. And don't forget, you have a state election coming up next year, in around about a year's time. It's time for the state government, I think, to do something about this. Look, I know that there are concerns. It may set a precedent and, you know, every time there's some dodgy workmanship or problems with buildings, then taxpayers will have to foot the bill. But I I think in fairness, I think in fairness, considering nobody wants to take responsibility for this, I mean, why don't they just... I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I was about to say, why don't they just demolish the whole thing and sell the land and, and give the owners at least something to start again? But that's easy for me to say, isn't it? If you want to have your say on this, of course, you can do that on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the Morning. It's a no-win situation, it really is, and I feel desperately sorry for the owners at the faulty mascot towers. Yeah, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the Morning on this Wednesday, a story that uh, I saw yesterday that concerned me. Millions of us are overspending in order to keep up with our friends and family, according to new research. Uh, You know, the old chestnut, keeping up with the Joneses. A Finder.com survey of a 1,000 people found 47% of Australians have felt pressured by their social circle to spend money. I can kind of understand that. If I go to a mate's place and he's got the latest barbecue and it's been bricked in, it looks amazing, or he's got the latest spa, or I don't know, they've bought a new lounge, I get a little jealous. I don't necessarily feel pressured to go out and make a similar purchase, but I appreciate the things they have. But anyway, 14% of people have been coerced into going on an expensive holiday with loved ones. Well, that's interesting. Um, I'm saving for a wedding uh, with the gorgeous girl, so there'll be no holiday for us until, well, the honeymoon. Anyway, the research found one in five, 20%, had gone into debt or spent more than they could afford because of pressure to spend, equivalent to around 4.3 million Australians. Really? 4.3 million Australians have felt pressured to keep up with the Joneses, really? Anyway, men have overspent substantially more than women. On average, $1,560 for the blokes and just $912 for the women. There we go. All right, another story as well that I wanted to touch on, and that is the Russians. Uh, I mean, they are really, really in everybody's sights at the moment, obviously, in relation to what's happening in the Ukraine. But yesterday, we learnt that Russia will be sued for the downing of Malaysian Airlines MH17. 
Australia and the Netherlands have initiated legal action against Russia for the downing of Malaysia Airlines flight MH17 in what's been described as a major step forward in the fight for truth and justice. Yeah, what will Putin do? Probably ignore it like he's done previously. No doubt. Prime Minister Scott Morrison said the unprovoked and unjustified invasion of Ukraine underscored the need to continue to hold Russia to account. I agree with him, particularly when it comes to MH17. A number of Australians, of course, 38, died. In a joint statement with Foreign Affairs Minister Maurice Payne and the Attorney-General Michaelia Cash, on Monday night, it was announced that Australia and the Netherlands had jointly begun legal proceedings against the Russian Federation in the International Civil Aviation Organisation. Now, a statement read, we have maintained since May 2018 that the Russian Federation is responsible under international law for the downing of flight MH17. Today's joint action by Australia and the Netherlands is a major step forward in both countries' fight for truth, justice and accountability for this horrific act of violence, which claimed the lives of 298 victims, as I mentioned earlier, 38 of whom called Australia home. In October 2020, Russia unilaterally withdrew from negotiations with Australia and the Netherlands regarding flight MH17 refusing to return to the negotiating table despite repeated requests. The Russian Federation's refusal to take responsibility for its role in the downing of flight MH17 is unacceptable and the Australian government has always said that it will not exclude any legal options in our pursuit of justice. Russia's unprovoked and unjustified invasion of Ukraine and the escalation of its aggression underscores the need to continue our enduring efforts to hold Russia to account for its blatant violation of international law and the UN Charter, including threats to Ukraine's sovereignty and airspace. Now, the joint action will rely on overwhelming evidence that the Doom flight was shot down by a Russian uh, Bakhtela surface-to-air missile system transported from Russia to an agricultural field in the east of Ukraine on July the 17th, 2014, an area under the control of Russian-backed separatists. The missile system was accompanied by a trained Russian military crew and the weapon could only have been fired by them or at least someone acting under their instruction. Maybe they were directed to or controlled to. The statement goes on to say, while we cannot take away the grief of those whose loved ones died as a result of Russia's actions, the Australian government will pursue every available avenue to ensure Russia is held to account so that this horrific act never happens again. All right, well, the legal action is in addition to the Dutch national prosecution of four suspects for their individual criminal responsibility in the downing of flight MH17. Prosecutors have called for life sentences for all involved. They uh, were officials in the pro-Russian Donetsk People's Republic fighting for independence from Ukraine. There we go. Yeah, well... Hopefully, eventually, we will find some justice for the 38 families who lost loved ones in the downing of MH17. That's just the Australians, of course, 298 in total. Okay, welcome back. It's Wednesday morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Look, they say that laughter is the best medicine. Uh, Just ask Patch Adams. What a great film that was uh, with one of my favourite actors of all time, sadly no longer with us, Robin Williams. Anyway, uh, laughter is good for the soul, there's no doubt about that. But a group of water bureaucrats who spent taxpayers' money learning to laugh away their anxiety at the height of last week's deadly floods have been told that it's not funny at all. Well, certainly isn't a... An appropriate use of taxpayer dollars? I don't think so. One of the group 
of 160 who dialed in for a Zoom meeting on March 10, just days after the bodies of a mother and son were pulled from a flooded Sydney creek, said the laughter session was, quote, bizarrely inappropriate. The laughing session was organised by Water Infrastructure New South Wales, which paid a bloke by the name of Merv Neal, who is the CEO of Laughter Yoga Australia. He runs these yoga workshops and he charged 550 bucks for the 15-minute session. It was sandwiched between business planning breakout session and wrap up and close out of the staff Zoom meeting. Uh, look, it's probably inappropriate, yes. How would you feel if you were in the middle of Lismore and the water agency is using taxpayer money which should go to flood relief to make bureaucrats laugh. Yeah, One Nation MP Mark Latham has had a good old crack at this, saying this is a parallel universe in which bureaucracy is operating. Uh, Mr Latham said the person who alerted him to the session said they sat there thinking, why are they teaching us to have a laugh when we are involved in a water agency where the last possible laughing matter we can consider is work with people losing their homes. Laughter may or may not improve your mental health and physical health, but the last possible laughing matter is the flood emergency and the people who need cheering up are not the bureaucrats. It's those who've seen everything being washed away during the floods. The people who need cheering up at taxpayer expense are those who have lost loved ones or their homes and businesses, or who were standing on their roofs watching their possessions simply float away. Now, on Monday night, the CEO of Water Infrastructure New South Wales, Jim Bentley, conceded the laughing session was wrong. Mr Bentley told News Corp, I have been clear with my senior executive team that the laughing yoga session should not have happened and must not be repeated. Whilst the well-being of our staff is important, it was insensitive to carry out a laughter exercise even for only a few minutes while other people are suffering because of the flood crisis. New South Wales Lands and Water Minister Kevin Anderson said the laughing session did not pass the pub test. While mental health and well-being is very important, we need to be sensitive to the fact that we are in a very challenging situation where people have lost their lives, their homes and their livelihoods and sensitivity needs to be exercised. People in this case, it might uh, perhaps in this case, it might not have passed the pub test with most people. Now, Mr Neal said his sessions were not about laughing at something but using laughter to manage stress and anxiety. And look, he's probably right. On his website, he describes himself as Australia's leading... Oh, I can't say this word. Gelatologist? Is that right? I think it is. Yep, it's a real word. Gelatology is the study of laughter and its effect on the body. Mr. Neil said it's also about how to connect teams when they have been separated while working from home. He said his group had been called in after other critical incidents, including the Christchurch earthquake in New Zealand, where he did a half-day workshop for the owners whose businesses have been destroyed in the, in the quake. We have a national group of people, and when there are critical incidents, I get a call asking if we can get someone to help with the community. Uh, well... Uh, He has a point. Laughter is very important, but sensitivity? Probably it was the wrong time for water bureaucrats to, you know, uh, get about laughing in a 15-minute session at, you know, a cost of just over 500 bucks to New South Wales taxpayers. Anyway, a spokesperson for the Department of Planning and Environment, which includes water infrastructure New South Wales, said its water group section provides technical advice and financial support to water utilities and has been working closely with them during the floods. Uh, They also concluded by saying that the session was organised in late 2021, so prior to the flood emergency. Marcus Paul in the morning. Nice to have your company on this Wednesday.
Okay, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, sadly, uh, the tradie involved in that horrific head-on collision that made news on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. He certainly made a lucky escape after being caught up in the carnage of the horrific accident last week. But we're told he has multiple surgeries for potentially long-term injuries, and that's very sad. Andrew Cheng, who's 31, was driving his electrical van to work across the bridge at around 7 o'clock last Monday when an allegedly stolen Toyota Kluger being driven by Christopher Walker slammed head-on into him. Mr Chang has had surgery on a shattered right leg and a broken right arm. He's a big-hearted bloke who, without fail, makes everyone laugh wherever they are around him. He's a man who loves his family and friends, especially his incredible, amazing girlfriend. That's according to his friend John, who is organising a fundraiser. They had plans to... This is the problem. What about victims of crime payment? Um, uh, Look, obviously, this moron that allegedly stole the car that smashed head-on into this tradie is still before the courts. But why are people having to organise fundraisers for the victim here? Anyway, he and his girlfriend apparently have plans to travel to Tasmania in the coming weeks to celebrate their 10-year anniversary. He's blown away by the support and is so very grateful. Incredible dash cam footage, we've all seen it. It captured the moment the alleged stolen Kluger slammed head-on into Mr Cheng's white high-ace van at speed. The impact of the crash flipped the Kluger on its roof and eventually led to it bursting into flames while Mr Cheng's van was forced backwards into traffic. Now, brave peak hour motorists brought to a halt by the crash ran to help Mr Chang and Walker Police alleged that a few minutes earlier, Walker had stolen the car from a man in Chinatown. Anyway, I hope um, that this fundraiser goes well for Mr. Chang and his family, and and that he can well certainly live a uh, a long and productive life despite his long-term injuries. And just while we're on it, I hope that any magistrate that does hear the case against this Christopher Walker. I hope the magistrate throws the book at him. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, if you would like to support the program, you can become a sponsor. Just send me a note, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au or if you want, you can email the Starter FM page, the uh, Facebook page, and ask for a media kit. So, time to tell you again about one of our sponsors, Workplace Health and Safety, WHS or OHS, depending on the state or territory that you're in, well, we know, and I've been telling you, it is a requirement of every trading business in the country. There's no getting around it. That's why your business, no matter how big or how small it is, needs the team from Fox Safety Consulting. Workplace health and safety and occupational health and safety can be confusing and at times frustrating, well, certainly to know what to do and exactly how to do it. That's why your business, no matter how big or how small, needs Fox Safety Consulting. Rick and his team, well, they will take the time to get to know your business and they'll understand how it operates so that they can provide the very best safety for your workplace at Fox Safety Consulting. They'll design customised practical solutions that will fit your needs and they'll make sure your business remains compliant but equally as important They'll keep your workers safe. Fox Safety Consulting's national network of consultants are now ready to support your safety journey. Already building a strong reputation across the country, Fox Safety Consulting are currently working with micro-businesses along with governments right across Australia. So, what are you waiting for? Get in touch today to see how they can help you and your business. To make an inquiry, go to foxsafety.com.au and choose Fox Safety Consulting to support your safety journey. How much are you paying for petrol? $2.10, $2.05. Well, the worst I've seen it is at $2.25. Now, depending on which part of Sydney, I'm talking about Sydney specifically here, 
that you buy your fuel in. Uh, well, what are the cheapest suburbs? Well, we're told that, well, the Central Coast isn't too bad. Wyong, Gosford, you're getting it for around $2.06 a litre. Still damn expensive. Auburn in the inner west, $2.07. Uh, Tweed Heads up there in the far north of the state, $2.09. And Canterbury, $2.11. Now, the most expensive suburbs. Well, no surprise, the east of the city. And also on the lower north shore, $2.21 a litre. Balkham Hills up there in the hills, $2.20 a litre. Hornsby, $2.20 a litre. Windsor, $2.20 a litre. Coringai, $2.20 a litre. And Canada Bay, also very expensive. I mean, Wyong and Gosford on the central coast are the envy of motorists with the lowest average petrol price across Greater Sydney as drivers feel the sting of spending more than 150 bucks on a single tank. Yep, that's what I'm paying, roughly. What about you? Let me know. Record-breaking petrol prices made $2 a litre look like a bargain, but... With the NRMA reporting just 5% of all service stations in the city offering unleaded petrol for that price or less, it's kind of hard to find a bargain. Look, if you, if you can spot unleaded, the cheap stuff, at an independent for just shy of two bucks or just over two bucks, fill her up, as they say. Fill her up. Unfortunately, we're told by the NRMA again that just 15% of all service stations have prices between $2 and $2.10, with the vast majority charging even more. Gone are the days of anybody writing off any price, he said. This is Peter Curry from the NRMA. In terms of $3 a litre, some are saying it's already a very real possibility. With the volatility of petrol and oil prices, anything can happen. Well, I hope not. Imagine that, 3 bucks a litre. I know in New Zealand, I think it's New Zealand, they're already paying that kind of coin. Three bucks a litre. All right, what are you paying? Let me know, Marcus.Paul at starterfm.com.au. One other story I wanted to mention before we knock off for the day. School children will be told that vapes contain harmful substances found in cleaning products. Nail polish remover, weed killer and bug spray. Why? Well, it's all part of a government education campaign to get kids from, uh, well, to stop taking up the habit. It's highly addictive. I saw one of the, and I spoke about it last week as well, but I saw one of these um, vapes. I'm, I'm holding in front of me a, uh, a Stadler classic highlighter. It's yellow and with a black uh, head and black tip at the bottom. I saw a bloke today... I could have sworn he had a, a highlighter in his mouth. No, it was a vapour, and it looked just like a highlighter. And that's what kids are smoking, or vaping, if you like, in their classrooms. The campaign will include a vaping toolkit, which will use shock taxi- tactics like images that incorporate a bottle of weed killer into e-cigarette devices to show children what they're really puffing away on. Info will also be broadcast on social media, including TikTok and Snapchat, in a bid to counter the so-called cool image of vaping in schools. Health Minister Brad Hazard said it was important young people knew there was no health advantages to vaping. A respiratory researcher once told to me that e-vaping liquids have chemicals that are similar to antifreeze with 500 different flavours to attract kids. That's according to the New South Wales Health Minister Brad Hazard. It makes it pretty obvious as to the harm it can cause to youngsters' lungs. Look, info on the dangers of vaping will also be printed in school newsletters, while the Education Minister Sarah Mitchell urge parents to dob in vapors to the school principal if they became aware of students who were vaping. Acting New South Wales Chief Health Officer Dr Marianne Gale said the info was primarily aimed at high school students between the ages of 14 and 17 years of uh, years old. But she did say she was aware that primary school children were also vaping. Is that right? 
Really? Among 16 to 24-year-olds, the number of people vaping has jumped from 15% of that age group to over 20% now in less than five years. There is a range of issues with vaping, including damage to the lungs due to the harmful chemicals, the danger of the apparatus possibly exploding, and the long-lasting effects of nicotine on a young brain. There's plenty of evidence that the nicotine content has an effect on the brain, which is still developing into their 20s. Nicotine is associated with changes to the brain that can impair attention, learning challenges, impaired memory, as well as mood and mental health effects. Now, New South Wales Health, I'm told, sees more than 100,000 e-cigarettes with an estimated street value of more than $2 million from the 1st of July 2020 to December the 31st last year. Yeah, is it time to put a freeze on these vape nasties? Let me know your thoughts on the Facebook page. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, well, that's it for the program today. Thank you for joining us on Starter FM and, of course, your favourite radio app, be it iHeart, TuneIn, or however you've listened to us, maybe on the Prawncast. Don't forget, if you get a couple of minutes today, well, you'll need an hour and a half if you want to watch the whole thing. Uh, my podcast with the wonderful Isaac Butterfield dropped late yesterday afternoon. Uh, you can see me being quizzed by Isaac and his mate Bluey up there in their wonderful home studio on the New South in the New South Wales Hunter region. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> probably not for the parents though. Gee, I hope Mum doesn't see it. Anyway, thank you for your company this morning. Uh, as I say, there's a link up on the Facebook page to that podcast that's uh, or video podcast with Isaac Butterfield. It's the Cancel Me podcast. And it's, of course, on YouTube. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us. If you want to uh, leave a comment on any of today's content, uh, make sure you send us either an email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. And, of course, you can like, follow and comment on our Facebook pages, either Starter FM or Marcus Paul in the morning. Enjoy your Wednesday. I'll catch you again tomorrow morning, live from 7 till 9. Laws and Hadley and all those people um, at the top of the game always say, nobody tells me what to say. Uh, the management here don't tell me what to say. That's because they're like-minded. Yeah. Because mm. they think the same way. But I have to tell I them would, what to say, yeah. yeah. I would get calls from the big, 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 big boss every third day. Oh, you're too far to the left. If you go any further left, you're going to fall over. Mm. I'm like, but these are the issues my listeners want to talk. Let's stop bashing up Harvey Norman, would you? Yeah. What do you mean stop bashing up Harvey Norman? They, they've made a, a zillion dollars in profit in the last year, but they've taken another $250 million, whatever it was, well, not, not $250, whatever it was. A lot, of, a lot of money. A lot of money in the JobKeeper thing. So I made a deal about that, and I got a politician on about it because I care about where taxpayer dollars...